creation of the world, the origin of man, first sin, God's plan of redemption, so on and so forth. We've seen how uh, God's given us an explanation of how so many things have come into existence. However, what is also revealed to us in the book of Genesis is the fact, and, and I love it that Rob sang that song because this ties in perfectly to where we're at in this text, is because as we continue on to study through this, we're going to see that how our, our lives as followers of God, as, as uh, servants of Jesus Christ, is that our lives as believers are a series of new beginnings, Really, really is. Our lives are a series of new beginnings. You know, you can't, have, you can't have a new beginning without grace. That's the wonderful thing about grace. If it was just about the law, as a lot of churches tend to make it about, it, it, there's no new beginning. You're either, you're either, you're just done. You're over with. God's forsaken you. You've blown it. You've, you've, you know, three strikes, you're out. However many think you get, seven times 70, we've all even exceeded that. But that's not how it is in regards to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're covered by the blood as we have faith. We have our lives to be a series of new beginnings. And as we continue to look at Abram's life, who will later be named Abram, his, Abraham, his, his name will be changed. It's one and the same guy. As we continue to look at his life, we see that he examples this principle to us. Abram examples this principle of new beginnings to us as he, and this is the cool thing, because he's known in Scripture as a man of great faith, right? Father of faith, a man of great faith. But even he, a man of great faith, had to rely upon the grace and upon the mercies of God to not only establish him, because remember, Abram was called in faith. Noah was called in faith. Moses, again, was called in faith, and, 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 and so on and so forth. Every man of God that, and every woman of God that God called, it was in faith, called to faith, called in grace. And so even though Abram was called in grace... And according to the mercies of God, to not only establish him, but it was that same grace, it was that same mercy of God that sustained him. Why? Because he's like us, or we're like him, in that he repeatedly, this great man of faith, he repeatedly stumbled and fell. Think about the New Testament. You know, we have the Lord, he's the only one that's perfect, but we think about the apostles, and we know what kind of knuckleheads they were. And we even look at the apostle Paul, who I have great admiration for, but Paul writes, even as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking about not what was, but even in this life that he has in Christ, in the book of Romans, he goes, he goes, man, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't do, that's what I do. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And of course, he cries out and says, Lord Jesus, God does what? Through new beginning." through His grace and through His mercy. And this is important to realize considering we too have all stumbled. We too fall. We fall short. And we do so when we do the things that are contrary to the commands and contrary to the will of God. But we must rest in the fact that God who has called us, God who has established us in accordance to His grace, is not only able, but that He is willing to sustain us and to restore us when we falter in faith. Not only is able and willing to restore us, he's able and willing to give us a new beginning. Remember Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 23, it says, the Lord's mercies, through the Lord's mercies, were not consumed. Why? Because his compassions, it says, fails not. They are new every morning. 
Great is your faithfulness, Jeremiah proclaims in the book of Lamentations. I point these things out because as we begin this next chapter and read of God's grace and mercy and about a new beginning in Abram's life, this is what we see. This is what we read now in this chapter, but we must remember what took place in chapter 13. If you remember, Abram had been called by God to leave the land of the Chaldeans, his father's land, and go to a land that God was calling him to, a land that he did not know, a land to where he had never been with, a land that God was going to bless him with. And even though Abram example great faith as he stepped out and followed God into this new land, a land that he did not know, we know that he faltered in his faith shortly after getting there. Even after he built an altar to the Lord in this land, he faltered in his faith. In doing so, Abram left the place. He said, I'm out of here. I know you called me here, God, and it's wonderful, but there's things here that don't really sit well with me. And I'm out of here. And we know that, that Abram left the place that he'd been called to dwell. And he went down, it says, to Egypt because it says a famine came into the land. But more importantly, we see at this time that Abram moved, not just geographically, from the land of Canaan to the promised land to down to the land of Egypt. Not only did he move geographically, he moved spiritually. He moved emotionally. He moved from the place of trust to the place of fear when he left the place that God had called him to. He moved from the place of trust to the place of fear, and, and, and it was his fear, as it is always in our lives too, when we give way to that, it was his fear that moved him from the place of reliance to the place of scheming. What I mean by that is, is doing something that he thought was right in his own eyes or in his, in according to his own ways. He moved from the place of reliance upon God to self-reliance, to scheming, which he, and in doing so, we know that Abram ended up putting his wife, Sarai, in a harmful situation when he lied to Pharaoh and told her, hey, this isn't my wife, this is, this is my sister. Yeah. Yet God, in spite of Abram's foolishness, in spite of Abram's leaving, in spite of Abram's self-reliance, God graciously and mercifully intervened on Abram's behalf, and we're told that he plagued Pharaoh and his house, it says, with many great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. I like that because it's almost like God said, I'll deal with you later, Abram. Right now, I'm watching out for your wife. And ladies, you can trust, even though that your husbands, that we guys are being knuckleheads sometimes. If you trust in God, God's got your back, right? And when Pharaoh realized he was being plagued by God for having taken Sarai into his house, he sent Abram away. He said, go, get out of here. You're not welcome here. He sent Abram away, and he sent him away with his wife. In addition to that, he sent him away with everything that Pharaoh had given him. Pharaoh had blessed him with flocks and herds and, and, and maids and maidservants. And, 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 and why? Because he thought Sarai was beautiful. She was a babe, and he wanted her in his harem. But he didn't want him there because they were getting plagued, and so he sent him out. And as we continue on in chapter 13, it says, if you look there with me, it says, verse 1, Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, in gold. Why? Because that's what he took out with him. That's what he was given by Pharaoh. And he went on his journey from the south, verse 3, as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. That's important. To the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel, the house of God, it says, and Ai, which literally means refuse. 
wreckage, to the place of the altar, verse 4, where he had made there at the, again, the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also, who went with him, verse 5, had flocks and herds and tents. And now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, also, or then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is it not the whole land before you? Please separate yourself from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right, or if you go to the right, then I will take, go to the left. And Lot, it says, lifted his eyes and saw the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, like the, like the garden of the Lord, and it says, like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zoar. Let's pray. Father, we do want to remember that um, today is the 15-year anniversary of um, how the world changed in a lot of different ways because of the tax that came upon our nation, because of the lives that were lost. And I'm, I'm glad, God, that Rob reminded us of the fact that our hope and our faith is in you, in no one and in nothing else. And God, the terrorists, you, Lord, through them brought us to our knees. You really did in a good way. And in a time when our whole nation was on our knees praying and calling upon you. But since then, God, we, we, it didn't last. It didn't stick. We're worse off than we ever were. And God, we are deserving of your judgment as a nation. This is true. But we know that your grace and mercy reigns until that time when the age of grace, this time of grace, is done. When you snatch us out of here, you send your, Lord, you send your son Jesus come back to, to judge, to rule and reign. So God, as we're, as we're living in this age of grace, this time of grace, Lord, we pray that you would power us by your spirit, that you would teach us by your word, that we would hear and have faith, Lord, to step out and do the things that you've called us to. And God, if, we, if anyone here, including myself, Lord, I know that I need a new beginning. I do. We just need to be renewed in you day by day. But if there's anyone here, Lord, who has specifically been struggling with where they're at, what they've been doing, I pray, God, that they would see this example given to us in the Word, that you are gracious, that you are merciful, and that you can set our feet upon high ground when we come back to you and hear you and do what you ask us to do. I pray for a new beginning, Lord, for anyone and everyone here who is in need of it. They would receive the grace, the forgiveness, and the mercy that you have, and they would remember that in you, God, there is no longer any condemnation for us who are called according to your Son, Jesus. I pray these things in his name, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if we look at the text here, first five verses, is the first, is, 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 is that the, the fact of the matter is, is that Abraham, if you look at this, Abraham, having been sent out of Egypt, he could have gone anywhere. He was sent out and he could have gone anywhere. He could have gone to Sodom and Gomorrah. It looked pretty good, obviously, from Lot's perception of things. It looked pretty good. He could have gone to Sodom and Gomorrah. He could have even gone back to the land of the Chaldeans, to his father's land. He said, it didn't work out there. Obviously, God didn't have it for me. There was a famine. Uh, got kicked out of Egypt. Let's, let's, let's go back home. Yeah, we read here in verse 1, that's not what Abram did, did he? It says that he went up from Egypt. And according to verse 3, it says, back to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. 
In light of this, we see that Abram had learned a lesson. He learned his lesson, and by going back up to the place that he had gone, what we see here, or what we're being told, is that he had repented. It's an act of repentance. Remember, repentance is literally turning away, turning around, and going back to the place that God had called you to go, that God had first called you to. Turning around. And, and when we disobey the will of God, the only right thing to do is to go back to the place where he left you, or where you, excuse me, where you left him. To go back to the place where you left God and to let him or allow him to make that new beginning for you. 1 John chapter 1 really declares this to us by saying, it says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the point is, is there's no failure in God's kingdom or with God's kids that is permanent. Man, that is such a comforting thing when you think about it because often we blow it and we go, I'm done. I can't believe it. Or we look at ourselves and we even feel so discouraged because we think that we're going to do it again. We either live in the past or we live in the future and we forget to live in the moment and go that there's no failure that is permanent when it comes to God and His kids. Furthermore, there's no sin that is greater than the grace and forgiveness of God. And even though there is great comfort and encouragement that's found in these truths, the fact of the matter is, is that we might read this account of what Abraham did, and we might think, <laughs> we can read it, and, and we might think about what Abraham did, and think that what happened to Abram wasn't all that bad, considering he left Egypt with a lot of wealth, a lot of wealth that Pharaoh had given to him. Furthermore, we might think, what's the big problem with this whole going down to Egypt since God forgave Abram's sin and he was able to start over, right? God's mercies are new every day, so there's grace and mercy tomorrow. So what's the big deal about today? Paul addresses that, and he's speaking about the grace of God in the book of Romans, and he said, what should we say to these things? And he says, should we sin all the more, just so that grace should abound all the more? And he says, certainly not. And yet, we might kind of think about that in our own lives, especially in light of this account, and going, looks like Abraham made out pretty well. In fact, in my flesh, I find myself reading this text and studying through it and going, God, you should have punished him. He deserved it. You should have punished Abram, or at the very least, God, I don't know what you're doing, but if I were you, I would have taken away all the good stuff that he received while he was there. And sometimes we live like that. We sin, and we think, oh no, I blew it. And God's just going to wipe me out. He's going to punish me. But when I think about these things about Abram or my own life, I come to the fact that I remember my own sin, my own rebellion, and my own disobedience to God. And truthfully is, is what I'm thankful that, that, that I've not received God's judgment. And I'm grateful that I have received God's grace and mercy, just like we read here with Abram, who received God's grace and God's mercy. Now, I want to point out that it also may appear that Abram was blessed with all these material things as he left Egypt, but the true blessing that Abraham received 
the true blessing that he received was not being judged by God. In fact, what we see when we read on is that all of this material, this material things that they came out of Egypt with, with really wasn't a blessing at all. They were really big problems that would bring much trouble. For example, we're told in verses 5 and 6, if you look there, that because of the great wealth that Abram and Lot had acquired when they were in the land, when they were in Egypt, um, that when they came back to the land that God had called them to, it could no longer support them. And Abram and Lot, as a result, had to separate from one another. They could no longer live together. And, and having had a taste of Egypt, which is a picture of the world, we know that Lot, through these, these verses here, we see that he started measuring everything by what he had seen in Egypt. And, and this led to his downfall. And ultimately, when we study into chapter 14, we see that it not only led to his downfall, but to the ruin of his entire family. Furthermore, when we get to chapter 16, we'll read about a woman by the name of Hagar. You guys remember her? Hagar was the Egyptian maidservant who was given to Sarai when she was in Egypt. And we know that Hagar would be a temptation and a stumbling block that would eventually bring division and sorrow into Abraham's home. And, and, and it would draw him and his wife to once again fall away from the will of God. And through Hagar, an Ishmael was born. And these facts need to be a reminder to us that in regard to our own sin, in, our own sin in, the, in regard to those own times when we turn away from God, those times when we go, we go down back to the world, and, 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 and in those times, and when we look at this, we can clearly see that there are no benefits from our disobedience. There's no benefits. There's nothing that you can go into the world and take back with you and go, ah, this is a good thing. I've heard it once said that when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, it ruined me for this life. And that's the case. There are clearly no benefits from our disobedience. The world has nothing to offer us anymore. And there may even be, as it was with Ishmael, consequences that last a lifetime. Generation after generation after generation as a result from turning away from God's commands and God's will. The practical lesson from all this is that we're to never abandon. We should never abandon our altar. Don't abandon the altar. The place where we worship and honor God by what we say and by what we do. Abraham had built an altar. That's where he should have stayed. In other words, stay in fellowship with the Lord no matter what the circumstance may be. Don't move the place that He has called you to no matter what. And if we have disobeyed God and He is disciplining us, then we need to go back to the place where we had left Him and make things right. Remember, we have the grace and mercies of God, which the Bible says are new to us every morning. We have these to turn to, the grace and the mercy. And, and, and because of the grace and mercy of God, we can start again in a place of new beginnings. Listen, guys, the bottom line is, is that a victorious Christian life is an ongoing series of new beginnings. So if you found yourself this morning straying away from the place that God has called you to reside, have a new beginning. 
Receive His grace. Receive His mercy. But don't forget, but the longer you stay in Egypt, in the places that God has not called us or led us to, greater the risk is then of being plagued by the consequences of our sins and the regrets for the things that we've done when we're outside of God's will. In verse 6, we can read on and it it tells us again that the land was not able to support them, that they, were, that they might dwell together, for, for, they, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And, and it says, and then there was this strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of, of Lot's livestock. And then it says, the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. And that's kind of an explanation for you to, the, to that the part of the reason that they were limited in space there because these other people had not been yet driven out. But there's another thing there we want to look at in a little bit. So in verse 8 it says, So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we, for we are brethren. We're brothers. We're family. And we need to keep in mind that when Abraham first faltered in his faith back in chapter, chapter 12, that, that he moved out of the land that God had called him to, we're told, because there was a famine in the land, Right? But now we read about a different problem that Abram was facing in that he and Lot had such great possessions that they could no longer dwell together. On one hand, you had a famine, chapter 12, but in this instance, you have great wealth, great abundance. And the contrast between the famine at this time or between the famine that, that, that Abram previously faced and now this time of abundance shows us that no matter what the circumstances are, we cannot allow for them to move us out of God's will. And and Abram, who had previously faltered in his faith and was given this new beginning, now we see that he he was not about to let these circumstances cause him to falter again. And the way that he handled the situation is an example for each one of us for this morning, for every believer, and, and examples to us that, that, that when, when there are disputes about material things that come up between brethren, there should be handled in a specific way. And the first thing we see in Abram's example for us through these, these verses, through this text, is we see that Abram determined to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. He determined to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. Now, it's important to point out that the real problem between Abram and Lot, the problem wasn't caused by the land. The problem wasn't really caused by the wealth. It wasn't caused even about the discord or the, 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 the strife between the, 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 the herdsmen, the real problem, as is in the case with every problem, was the problem that was in the heart. Right? A problem that was in the heart. And this is explained to us in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, which says this. Listen, guys. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your own desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and you covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Where do wars and fights come from? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war 
and your members. So we see that Lot's heart in this situation was centered on wealth. It was centered on getting more. He needed some room to expand, to grow, to increase. But on the contrary, we see that Abram simply wanted to please the Lord. And Lot was at war with Abram because he was really at war with himself. And he was at war with himself because he was at war with God. And it was bad enough that this dispute was between brethren, as verse 8 points out, or verse 8 points out. But if we also look to verse 7, which tells us about these other people who were in the land, the Canaanites and the Prezerites, when we see this, we also see something much worse in that um, there were witnesses to this dispute. You have brethren, followers of God, disputing and fighting and having division, and unbelievers we're there to witness it. Likewise, as we see this, we know that it's never a good thing when we who share the name of Jesus aren't getting along. It ruins our testimony. It drags the name of Jesus through the mud. But it's even worse when an unbelieving world is a witness to our lack of unity and our unwillingness to live in peace with each other. It's, it's bad. It's not good. When we have this unwillingness to live in peace one, with one another. When one of us won't relent and go, I'll be a peacemaker. Now, as we look at Abram's example, the first thing that we see is that, is that he moved to the place where he was willing to live for others. See, Abram, in this new beginning, what was willing, and he did, he moved to the place where he was willing to live for others and no longer for himself. I say that because if you remember, this had not been the case with him previously when he was in Egypt. On the contrary, we know that Abram was only thinking about himself and about his own well-being when he schemed, when he lied about Sarai being his wife. But when Abram returned to the place where he had began, to the altar that he had first placed, to the altar where he had first built, I mean, he was able to put others before himself. Why? Because he was now putting God first. That's the key. You want to be about others, you have to put God first. So even though Abram was Lot's elder, he was the uncle. And this afforded him as the elder, as the uncle, every right to decide the issue and to tell Lot what to do. He, according to verse 9, Abram, according to verse 9, gave Lot the choice. The first choice. And this reminds me of the words found in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, which says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. Also, Philippians 2, verse 4, which says, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but the interests of others. So in addition to being a peacemaker who put others first, we also see Bray Abram's example of what it means to live by faith and not by sight. 
In other words, when Abram gave his nephew the choice saying that he would willingly go in the opposite direction, he said, Lot, wherever you want to go, you go to the east, I'll go to the west. You go to the north, I'll go to the south. Wherever you want to go, I'll go the other direction. And, and as he gave his nephew this choice, saying these things, we see that he was not worried ultimately about his future. He was not worried about his own well-being. And this was because he knew that ultimately that everything was in God's hands. In the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 6, it really expresses this kind of daily living by faith than not by sight that we're called to. If you remember in verses 31 through 34, Jesus said this, he said, Therefore do not worry. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For all of these things the Gentiles seek, the unbeliever seeks. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient is today for its own trouble. And even though Abram never heard these words of Jesus, he was putting them into practice. And was able to do so because Abram's faith was a faith of substance. Abram's faith was a faith of evidence that was built upon the encounter that he had with God when he, in verse 4, previously had called upon the name of the Lord at the altar that he had first built when he came back into the land, putting God first, back to the beginning. And it was this encounter alongside the promises that God had previously spoken to Abram that assured Abram that everything was under his control. Don't worry, Abram. Let him go whatever direction. I'm going to take care of you. I'm your provider. I'm your protector. Sadly, even though verse 5 tells us that Lot, on the contrary, he too had flocks, he too had herds and tents. We know that Lot didn't have this same assurance that Abram had. Why? Because Lot had no altar. He had tents, he had flocks, he had herds, but he had no altar. Which meant that he did not call on the name of the Lord for, ma- for wisdom in making his decisions. He was doing what Abram had done previously in that he was doing what he thought was right according to his own wisdom, according to his own ability to see. Yet in James chapter 1, verse 5, it tells us that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and and without reproach. And it says, and it will be given to him. There's no need for us to rely upon our own understanding of things. There's no need for us to not have an altar. So instead of lifting up his eyes to God, Lot, according to verse 10, it says that he lifted up his eyes, and he did so only far enough to see the plains of Jordan. which it says was well watered everywhere. But Lot's wisdom or Lot's 
vision, excuse me, was limited. His wisdom too, but his vision was limited. And not only was his vision limited as he only looked up to a certain distance, not up to God, as he only looked up to the plains of Jordan, we also see from the text that Lot's vision was blurred. Man, how often does that describe us? Limited vision and blurred. You know, I had the, the um, LASIK surgery done on my eyes, and I praise God I don't have to wear glasses anymore. It's, it's a lot better. I'm not complaining, but, but maybe it's just because I'm getting older. Maybe it has nothing to do with LASIK. I can see far away now, but man, I'm telling you what, there's time like, you know? And last night we went to the movies, and I came home, and it was kind of a little bit darker, and I had my Bible out, my computer I'd been studying before I left, and I, and I sat down. To, to continue to study and finish some things up late last night, and, and I could not get focused on the words. My vision was blurred. It was limited. But we're not just talking about a physical limitation here with Lot's eyes. There was a spiritual thing going on, right? His vision was limited, and it was blurred because it was blurred by his experience that he had in Egypt. And verse 10 really kind of explains this to us, or it tells us this by saying that the plains of Jordan, that when he looked up, he saw that it was like what? The land of Egypt. And this decision that Lot made to go to this place that was like Egypt demonstrates that even though Lot had been taken out of Egypt or sent out of Egypt, Egypt had not been taken out of Lot. Man, and there's some Christians like that. We struggle with that, right? God's taken us out of the world, but there is still a lot of the world that's in us that needs to go away because it, it limits our vision. It blurs our perspective in things. And the fact of the matter is, is we are a lot like Lot in that our vision is limited and that it is often blurred because of our desires for the temporal things of this world. And the truth is, is we can only see what our heart, which the Bible says is full of deceit, and we can only see what our heart loves. We can only see what our heart loves. A heart which is deceitful. So the only hope we have is to keep our eyes looking up to God and upon the eternal things of God that do not pass away. And you know what? This is exactly what Abram did in contrast to Lot. And this is how he was able to live by faith and not by what he could see. In verse 12, we read on and it says that Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plains and he pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, He said, lift your eyes now. <laughs> lift your eyes now and look to the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which, I, which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust on the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. He said then in verse 17, Arise and walk in the land through its length and through its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent, and he went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and he what? And he built an altar there to the Lord. Now, as we come to the end of this chapter and begin to wrap it up, I want to point out that after Lot had gone away, Abram had another meeting with God. 
And the thing that God said, or the things that the things that God said in these verses, it really points out some contrast to help us to apply these overall truths to our own lives. For example, Lot, it says, had lifted up his eyes and he had seen what the world had to offer him. But Abram, upon God's command, looked to and waited upon God. In doing so, God spoke. And God invited Abram to look up his, to, to lift up his eyes now and to see literally what heaven had to offer him. Furthermore, Lot, in accordance to his own wisdom, had chosen a piece of land which he would eventually lose. But when God spoke, God gave Abram the whole land. It says, as far as he could see in all directions, which still belongs to him as an inheritance and to his descendants, the Jewish people, to this very day, forever. Lot had said, I will take. And when God spoke to Abram, he said, I will give. Sadly, Lot lost his family, and when God spoke to Abram, he gave him a promise of a family so large that it could not be counted, could not be numbered. And in the end, Lot was living for the possible, but Abraham, by patient faith, was trusting in God for what seemed to be impossible. Remember, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, By faith, or faith comes by hearing. God spoke and Abraham heard, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And, by, and, 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 and as we connect these things together, guys, I want to I say this. Faith, our faith, is only as good as our willingness to take action in the things that God has spoken. Action in the things that God has spoken. This is why we read at the end of this chapter, if you look there in verse 17, God moving Abram from the command to lift up your eyes and look to the command to lift up your feet and walk. And in light of this, we see that the Word of God is the will of God in more than one way. The will of God in that it really tells us how rich we are as sons of God. Co-inheritors, it says, with Christ Jesus. The, will of, the Word of God is the will of God that tells us how rich we are, but faith, active faith, is the key that opens up the vault so that we can claim the life that God has purchased for us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the inheritance that God has laid up for us. Rob, if you and, and Rich want to come up as I close, I want us to notice one last thing. That not only did Abraham lift up his eyes and look and then lift up his feet and walk, he, in verse 18, it says also that he once again lifted up his heart and he worshiped. He lifted up his heart and he worshiped. He worshiped God and out of a heart of gratitude, he thanked him for his gracious blessing and in doing so, he built this altar to the Lord. Guys, you need to hear this. We have an enemy, the Bible says. The battles that we fight are spiritual against principalities and powers of darkness. You have an adversary. Paul writes about it. Jesus warned his disciples. And you need to know that Satan wants to use circumstances. He wants to use people and he wants to use things to tempt us in order to bring out the worst in us. 
But God, for those who are called according to his purposes, his children, God also wants to use these things in our lives to test us, to refine us, to sanctify us, to purify us so that the best is brought out. You see, Abraham, Abraham had failed the first time because he resorted to really his own wisdom, a faith in man's wisdom, instead of a faith in the Word of God. But he passed this test with great distinction as we read through this because he simply did this. He let God take control. And as God's calling us, perhaps each individually, to a new beginning, it has to be at that point of surrender where we go, God, take control. I trust in you. I rely upon you. I cling in you. And so know that God's calling us back into that place of submission, every one of us today, to allow Him to take control and to receive the fullness of the blessings that He has for us wherever He called us to be. Father, we thank You, God, for this time, for these examples, for these words of truth. And God, as we prepare to worship You and to lift up our prayers and our concerns and our our commitments and our recommitments to You, Lord, I pray that you would receive us, that you would hear our words, that you would answer our prayers. God, that we would come to you because you're the one that has wisdom, you alone. We'd come to you because you alone have forgiveness. You alone have grace. You alone have the mercy that we need. You alone have the new beginning. And you're a good father who's faithful to give us exactly what we need. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys, if you want to come forward and take the chairs, um, Rob's going to lead us in a few minutes.